This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. And if you like what you're hearing, which, come on, let's face it, you do. Make sure to tell a friend. You can find us on iTunes, the app, or my site, AllisonRosen.com. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with perfect good times never end. Allison Rosen, doing the way you dance again. Allison Rosen, Allison's your new best friend. Hey everyone, hi, hello. <clears throat> it's me, Allison Rosen, and I sound like shit. <laughs> but that's okay. Hang on one second. <clears throat> a professional would do that over again, but I'm not one. Hi, Anthony Jesselnick. Welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. Am I saying your last name right? Would say it again? Jesselnick? Yeah. It's not Jeselnik? No. People like people will say it, and sometimes it's like an accent, so I can't really get mad at them for mispronouncing it. Right. But Jeselnik is the way to go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that perhaps it was Jezel, like Guzzle. People I was, say it like that a lot. Yeah, then fuck them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your voice is very deep and sonorous. Is it? Is it deeper than normal? It I don't sounds, know. I just I just recently quit smoking. Oh, again, so I don't. I wonder if that's ma- messing with my voice at all. I mean, it sounds good, Thank but you. it sounds really like broadcasty. Like a like hey like um like a check smooth it out. jazz. Yeah, something like that. So you just quit smoking again? Yes. Is I this mean, a it's frequent on, thing? Oh, of course. Yeah. How long have you not smoked? Oh, uh, now about twenty four hours. <laughs> Well, so quick to use the Q word. Um, how long do you think you'll go this time? I always I go for like a long time, and then just something like gets me back. Like I'll be on the road again, and I'll be like, oh, I'm sick of it. I'll run out of the gum, or I'll, you have to quit different ways each time. Mm. You know, like it, you can never quit the same way twice. Right. But so it doesn't work. So now I'm I'm doing the the e-cigarette. Oh. Weird, uh, yeah, which is a weird. How is that? It's okay. Do you smoke it indoors? Uh, I try not to because I think it looks such – you look like such a douchebag yeah. doing that that I, I try to – I cover up the light. You know, I try to duck <laughs> into a bathroom or something and do it outside. It's just too weird. Is it the do. same fix as smoking? No, but it's it, – you feel better. Yeah. Sure. Have you tried cold turkey? Yes. I did this thing. There was a, a book called The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? No. It's like a famous one. The guy's now dead. But you read the book and then you quit. Like it's just – it's like a mental thing. So you, you do it cold like turkey that way. Like hypnosis – like you're hypnotizing yourself almost? A little bit. It's like you convince yourself that nicotine fits aren't that big a deal. Right. So you just get through it. And, uh, and I've done that and it was, it was awesome. Alan Carr I think wrote the book. Oh, I've heard, I've heard that name. Yeah. Maybe I am familiar with this. And yeah. well, so what happened? So I quit and I was dating a girl who smoked and after like eight months, it was like forever. Mm-hmm. It was the longest I had gone without ever having anything. And she was just like, I was drunk. And she was like, have a cigarette. And I had that one and it was, it was over. Oh, that's yeah. when, that's when it happens when you're drunk because then you have no resolve mm-hmm. or your resolve is chipped away a bit. Um, so second season of Jess Nick Offensive just started again. Yeah, well, half not the, again. Halfway done. It started. Maybe not just started. Congratulations. Thank you. How's it going? It's good. It's good. It's it's more fun this year because we kind of know what we're doing a little more. Mm-hmm. The first season we were just kind of figuring it out and throwing things at the wall, and now we know we know a little more what we're doing. So it's just everything's better. I'm how, more comfortable. How would you say? How would you say it's different than the first season? 
I think it's just more streamlined. Like we're a little more efficient this year. You know, we kind of we have more of a purpose than we did last season. We were just figuring things out, and I'm more comfortable now. You know, a little more comfortable now than I was last season. I think the show gets better as I get better, mm-hmm. and it's such a hard thing to kind of host your own show, like a show like that. You know, right. people usually get years to get good at it, and I've got a very a very small curve to, <laughs> uh, to figure it out. I thought it was really interesting when you were on the Adam Carolla show. You were saying that um, when you get into debates with the network over, like, you know, what direction to go or, or what you can or can't say, you tend to fall back on, I'm just going to do what I've done that has gotten me to this point, which is just kind of trust your own instinct. Yeah. And I really respect that and admire that because I think that my temptation would be to say, oh, maybe, I'd, I, maybe I should listen to them or I don't know, or like to not trust myself. Where does this trust in yourself come from? Just experience of, you know, going up there and failing and succeeding and figuring it out on my own that you just you you're you're working at it so hard that eventually your instinct takes over where I just I don't trust anyone else's instinct over mine mm-hmm. you know so I, I think just the, as you get more confident you trust your instinct because now it's almost like doing do you ever do stand up like uh, for you? a minute okay I did yeah did you ever do like crowd work no it's a like crowd work is like you you ask someone in the audience it's always a disaster it's usually a disaster in the beginning you know you're mm-hmm. like what do you do for a living They're like I'm a lawyer and you're like uh Okay, and then you just go to the next thing. But after that show, all you're thinking about is what I should have said to a right. lawyer. So the next time you do crowd work and someone says they're a lawyer, you've got it down cold. You mm-hmm. know, and that's kind of how you almost get get your instinct together is just by figuring that out over right. time. What made you want to do comedy? I wanted to be a writer. I just wanted to be a writer, and uh, someone told me stand-up's a good way to get into that as opposed to trying to get someone to read your script. You, know, mm-hmm. you could just be like, watch me tell these jokes. And I, all my friends got hired, and I didn't. And uh, that's how I got good at stand-up is because I kept not getting hired for the jobs I wanted. And then eventually, by the time I got a writing job, stand-up had been going, been going so well. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you wanted – when you say you wanted to be a writer, do you, who did you want? Like a TV writer specifically? Yeah, uh, uh, at first I wanted to be a novelist. And then I was like, that seems like an awful life. Like, I wanted to <laughs> Why? be – because I wanted to be Brett Easton Ellis. I wanted to publish a novel that while I was still in college that was controversial and mm-hmm. huge and made me a ton of money and then get like write more cool books as I was like uh, but being young. And most people don't get to do that. Where most did people, you go to college? Uh, Tulane University okay. in New Orleans. Yeah, I also am upset that I don't have many books under my belt by this point. How many books do you have? Zero. Okay. Do you, are you working on one? Yes. Well, but I mean sort of like how you're quitting smoking. Mm. <laughs> I, for a long time. But I mean, I really am more serious about it right now. I really think it'll happen this time. But uh, I am just saying that I re- can totally relate to the wanting to have books published at a young age thing. Absolutely. And now I'm like at the point where people are offering me book deals, but I feel like it's been built up too much that I'm yeah. like, I have to, I don't want to put out just a book. It's got to be like a great book because that's what I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been working on that ever. So right. it's, a, it's a weird position to be in now. What are you going to take one of the book deals? Eventually, I will. You know, I would like to write my comedian book, like, here's how I was like as a kid, here's this, that, kind of like your, your biography. Yeah, yeah, your memoir a little bit. And then uh, I'd love to do a novel at some point. Um, and people, like, they'll pitch me, like, kind of idea books. Like, when they were like, oh, how about a book of apologies? Where you're apologizing for things, but you're not actually apologizing for them. It's like they're the, like joke apologies. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you mean the same joke over and over again for an entire <laughs> book? Like, no, thank you. But they like they'll have little gimmicks for me like that. Right, right. Yeah, are you interested in doing a gimmick book at all? Like not my reaction it was to like, that is like, not unless it was something like brilliant. Like I was like, oh, this could be really fun. This could like be one that cool you thing. came up with yourself. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's hard for anyone to give me an idea because it's usually like if I don't think of it, it's not right. It's not as good. It's, 
I know we're joking, but are you joking? A little bit, but not really. I mean, I can recognize <laughs> a great idea, but but I like to come up with it myself. There's like a certain pride there. So how does that work on your show then when you have writers? I mean, a lot of the things, everything comes through my voice. You know what I mean? Like people give me jokes and I always rewrite everything. Or if I'm setting up a bit, I'm rewriting it. Um because it's got to sound natural to me, and I've got a very specific specific voice. But they'll pitch me games, you know, bit ideas, and if it's something really awesome, I'm like, yes, like I can't wait to get to do that. But it's it's I've got a high bar. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone hands you a joke, can you do it? If you think it's like if you think if someone wrote a joke in your voice, are you okay with doing that? I would never do it in my own stand-up. But for my show, I have to. I couldn't possibly write my own monologue every week. You know, I have people who chip in on that. Uh, yeah. So I can I can do jokes like that, but I've never done a joke in my act that someone's tried to give me. I just have to, I have too much pride, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the fun part for me is figuring that out. That I I never too much to, probably to my to a fault. You know, I probably should take those jokes. I mean, have there been good jokes? Because I know for me, people have not like people are giving me jokes all the time. But you know, if I'm going on stage with Adam Carolla, sometimes like ahead of time. You know, a comedian or someone will be like, I have a joke. It's not going to work for me. And they'll say it. And then it's like, I just, even though I recognize it's funny, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. It's, and it's also a lot of times it's an insult to you. Do you know what I mean? They're like, I can't tell this joke, but you could. And then they tell you the joke, and you're like, that's a terrible joke. That's why you can't tell that joke. Well, Maybe that's me, what they meant. Yeah, this didn't yeah. meet my bar, but exactly. I know that it'll work for you Yeah, you because you have no standards. Exactly. You could do this. This will be fine for you. Or they'll do a joke that's just like – it's like it has a twist, but it's such an awful – it's like if someone was doing an impression of me. Oh, yeah. The jokes I get well, I would – your voice is so distinct, and it's funny because you're so – good at walking that nimble line that I and I actually feel like Adam is that way mm-hmm. as well um it, it, people might not use the word nimble to describe him but I think that he's able to sort of mix the anger into his stuff but keep it funny but when people other people it's hard for other people to nail that voice absolutely but so sorry not talking about Adam not talking about you again I would think that it it'd be really hard for someone to hand you something that works it's never happened. I've never – and it's, it's usually like an insult. Like they think that like – so I was walking to the store and then I raped a baby. And you're like, what do you – why would I ever say that? Like it doesn't make sense. Like it's not smart enough. Yeah. yeah I never get the smart jokes. You just like, It's too dark. But right. it's not good enough. Right. I don't just do jo- dark jokes for the sake of being dark. It's got to be a smart joke. Mm-hmm. And I've never been handed one. Or I've even gotten like comics who I totally respect and think are amazing who will be like, you know what? If you just switch the order of those jokes and put this joke there and that joke there, I think it would really help things. And I just nod my head. And That's I walk so rude. Away. I, never take, I never take advice. So now I don't even take it. Like people be like, can I give you some advice? And I'd be like, oh, sure. But I ignore it. Now I just say, absolutely not. You can't give me any advice. Is that a thing that happens a lot? It happens less and less, but in the beginning especially. Yeah. People think you're a little more green so they feel like they can walk up. And not just comics but like audience members too. That's you actually that. what – so so for the one minute that I did stand-up, that's actually kind of what turned me off of it. Um, but I think if I had loved it, you know, nothing would have put me off of it. But just all the the – advice that I was inundated with like was well, a female comedian you should you know you don't ever want to do jokes about this and you don't want to do this and this and this and then suddenly it just like this already wasn't maybe that fun except for the first time when I killed which I hear is very very common the very first time goes really well and then yeah. it kind of goes downhill before it gets better again but um yeah I instantly was up in my head and I was just like this is I'm gonna stick with stuff that I'm 
that I, I know I'm good at. Yeah, I think it's very tough for a female comedian, uh, especially an attractive one, you know, in the beginning because you're getting hit on by every – like every guy has the same trick with a new female comedian. They walk up and like, we should write together. You know, like, <laughs> let's sit down and maybe write some jokes. I've got some – here's some advice for you that I think it's – it seems like a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you wanted to be a novelist. So you grew up in Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, you wanted to be a novelist. Mm-hmm. And then, then what happened after that? <laughs> after, after that, uh, a lot of things. Um, no, I think I just got into college, and I was—I uh, just started to realize what that life was going to be. And I was like, "Oh, I guess I will just go be a lawyer." You know, my par- my dad's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. My parents always thought I'd be good at that. And I was like, oh, "I guess this is what life is." is they you thought you'd be dream. good at that because why? Just, they just thought, "Oh, you know, he knows how to talk." You know, what I mean, he can like he can he can speak well, and I mm-hmm. could I could do whatever the hell it is lawyers do. Uh, and they also, they also only knew of like three different jobs out there. You know, and, and the lawyer was like the best one. What um, were the other two? Uh, doctor, which mm-hmm. was never going to happen, and then it was like garbage man. Like if you, it was like you, in my family, oh. you were either like you were either like a, like a huge success or you completely blew it. Right, uh, which is what I had to deal with a lot as a kid because I was like the smart guy who people were like, "Your your son's an underachiever. Like he should be doing very well, but he's doing very badly because he doesn't care and he's joking around." Mm-hmm. Um, were you class clown? A little bit, a little bit. I was like, I tried to pick my moments more. I wasn't like the goofy, you know, not a lot of physical comedy kind of stuff, but I definitely made remarks all the time. Like I could not, I had to say, if I joke popped into my head, I had to say it. Like it was too <laughs> smart not to. Mm-hmm. And I got better at that as I, as I went on. But uh, when I was in college, I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to sell out and go to law school after this. I didn't know what else to do. And Dave Chappelle came to Tulane campus, it did a set. And, and I always loved comedy. I never thought I would be a comedian. But at the end of Chappelle's set, he says, all right, kids, I want to tell you something for, for real. For, seriously, he goes, uh, work to live, don't live to work. And he leaves. And, which isn't the, uh, and I've told people this story since then. They look at me like, that was inspiring to you, you idiot. But it, it, but it was just like, oh, like, I shouldn't be a lawyer thinking like this will give me like a nice life of money. I should go find the life I want. Mm-hmm. So I went out to L.A. and thought, like, I'll just do something creative. Not, maybe not comedy, maybe not writing, but I will find some way to, to be creative as opposed to just going to law. Wait, so he big... said don't work to live, live to work? He said work to live, d- don't, work to live, don't live to work. Like do, do enough work that, so you have, like, t- to live your life. Right. But don't live for your job. Right, okay. You know, so I was like, okay, that makes, that makes sense. But I just thought being a lawyer seemed so con- all-consuming. Yeah, I remember my dad on vacation having the yellow notepad, you know, doing work while we were sitting on the beach. You know, that mm-hmm. always stru- stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then, so then, so that was a profound moment for you. Pretty profound. It was like okay, I just I never thought about law school again. I was like, I'll figure something out. And I went to L.A. This was like the summer in between my junior and senior year. I went to L.A. and got an internship in like with a movie studio. And uh, just, so like, you were drawn to entertainment. Yeah, I just I didn't know where to go. I thought New York or L.A. And a friend of mine went to UCLA from New Orleans and was like, oh, come out. I can get you this internship. He just like handed me something. Mm-hmm. So I went out there and did that. And then after I graduated college, it was the only thing I knew to do was to go to L.A. So I just I remember I went home. I stole a car from my family and, and just drove to L.A. Did they have a lot of them? They, my great aunt had just died. And they had like a Mercury Grand Marquis, which is like what your grandma would drive if she was an undercover cop. And I just like <laughs> took it and, uh-huh. and went. Yeah. Um, and what did you do when you got out here? I no, I thought I would have a job. I was like, I kept thinking like I'll just get a job immediately, and I, it took me a while. Like I had a bunch of really odd, terrible jobs. Mm-hmm. My first job was working at a Borders Books and Music <laughs> in uh, L.A. In L.A., it was on La Cienega, uh-huh. um, which I eventually got fired from. How did you get fired? 
Uh, I just, I just, I hated the job. It was so boring, and I, they just knew. They knew I didn't care. And one day I was late, and they were like, "Get out of here." I, mm-hmm. was, I was fine with that. Um, were you a cashier? No, I was. Uh, I was like uh, loss prevention, which was weird because I was the only one at Borders. Everyone else got to wear their normal clothes. I had to wear like a uniform. <laughs> I had to wear this, like a special polo shirt and like and like the same black pants every day. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Why? If I'm supposed to be catching people who are stealing, right? Why am I dressed differently?" You than should be else? undercover, exactly. And they never bought that. Wow. They never They never took it. So, but when I they fired me, I took all my polo shirts, the black Borders polo shirts, and I gave them to homeless people because Borders would let most of my job was wrangling homeless people. Okay, they were they were allowed to come in and read, but if they got out of hand or if they smelled bad, I had to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So I knew a lot of them. So I just gave them those shirts, hoping that one day they would put them on and walk into Borders in force. Right? Do you think they, they ever did? I don't think so. Did yeah. you ever have problems? Well, I'm. I was about to ask a question, and then in the course of being about to ask it, I realized that it's uh, it's rude, and not to you, but to homeless people. But um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you ever have problems with like a home with a homeless person just camping out in the bathroom? Because I feel like because I lived in New York for years, and I feel like some of my worst worst memories, speaking strictly from my bladder's point of view, was like being in a Starbucks and really needing to use a bathroom and just realizing that uh, I'm never going to get in there. I feel like someone might have died in there. Yeah. Very disgusting. We, it was always, we were always trying to figure out how to do it. You know, should we put a lock on the door? And they were like, no, if there's a lock on the door and they get locked in there, yeah. they're never coming out. That was always weird. But the homeless people were tough to deal with, and they all like. Had did money. you have to wrangle that bathroom situation as well? No, I don't think I've really had to do that. But one thing I remember being fascinated about was a thing called Code Adam, is what they would say what over the this? loudspeaker. Uh-huh. And my job, and if if I ever heard Code Adam, it meant a kid had gone missing in the store. And my job was to run to the bathroom, and go into the bathroom and see if someone was in there shaving a kid's head. That was the big thing. They were like, people are kidnapping kids, and they shave their heads so they can get them out of the store. Without anyone recognizing it. Oh, right. So your job like, was... Because bo- Bobby's blonde or something. Exactly. Exactly. bald four-year-old. Yeah. yeah. What were the other codes? Do you remember? It was, uh, code Adam was the only code. There was no other code. It was just Code Adam. So that's huh. why I've never forgotten it. Um, well, that sounds miserable. It was. And yet you were drawn bo- to borders. You still had the book thing in your blood. Or was I it wanted just to work. I thought a book, I could work at a bookstore. I was looking for anything. And a yeah. bookstore seemed kind of cool. You know, I, 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 could ne- I, would, I remember going and trying to get a job as like a, a bartender or waiter. And they were like, do you have a headshot? <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, I do not. Uh, I cannot afford headshots for my bartending job. So and I yet just- I feel like you have, the, you, you have bartender looks. And that's meant, meant to be a compliment. Thank you. Thank you. I'm surprised just, they would need a headshot for that. Yeah, it seemed. I mean, I think it was just no one was hiring. Nobody was ever hiring, really. <clears throat> I mean, I, after Borders, I think my next job was, I think I worked at an Abercrombie and Fitch <laughs> as an as a, uh, assistant manager uh-huh. for a couple months. Got How fired that? from that. Awful. Fired? Oh, the worst. The worst. Well, how'd you get fired there? They knew I didn't care about being a manager and I would get, people would complain about me all were the they, time. I mean, were they looking for lifers? Like yeah. someone who Abercrombie and Fitch is their dream? Yeah. It was like I was a manager in training, so I was like an assistant manager but with the goal of making me a manager. And they would be like, okay, so when you're a manager, you have to do this, this. And I was like, I'm not paying attention to those. Yeah. I don't care. And they knew that quickly. Right. So they got rid of me. I was a, uh, I was a teacher at a high school for emotionally troubled kids. What did you teach? Uh, it, was just like a, it was just like a class. And I wasn't like a teacher. I was a teacher's assistant. So mm-hmm. I was supposed to like – all these, these kids were awful. They were the worst of the worst. And the school just got money from the government to keep them in school. So you couldn't really discipline them or anything. And it was like you just keep them here until they're 18. Then they go off on their own and they all become prostitutes. Like it was really scary and sad. Mm-hmm. That sounds after, really sad. Yeah. And I, was, I tried to joke around with them and like be funny. And they never got – 
they never understood that I was joking, and I would just send them off into like t- they would go crazy. I went and started like a brawl, like not not trying to, but it was just like trying to joke around with someone. He got so upset, he started fighting everybody. And when they fired me, they said it, it was like having an extra emotionally troubled teenager <laughs> in the room. And I was like, I can't argue with that. I gotta, I gotta just give it to you. So you feel like that was a fair assessment? Absolutely. I never should have been there. I, I was so happy. How to did leave. you get that job? A friend of mine was a teacher there, and she was like, we really need male teacher's assistance. Would you want to do it? And I was just desperate. I needed mm-hmm. money. Because one of the good things, the things that helped me out in, in comedy was getting unemployment. So if I worked long enough to get unemployment, then I'd have six months of getting paid to do stand-up. Mm-hmm. But when that six months ran up, I was totally boned, and I didn't know how to even start looking for a job at that point. So I had to take different stuff. Like I think I worked at Arclight Cinemas right after I got fired from that job because I just needed money. And that was humiliating, working at Arclight. Um were you taking tickets? I, w- I did a bunch of a bunch of different things, and it, wouldn't, it wasn't a bad job. But the humiliating part was like someone would be like, "Can I get a large popcorn with butter?" And I'd be like, "Here you go," and they'd be like, "Thanks, you were funny at Largo last night." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is this is awful." So you were doing stand up the whole time. Mm-hmm. As soon as you yeah. got out here, like the whole no, time I think you're doing it took jobs. me like a year. I think I was out here for about a year until I decided I'm going to try this because I thought if. if I was like, why am I, why am I, why do I not want to do stand up? And it just kind of scared me. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, if it's just being scared, let's go do that. Now's, now's the time to, to try it out being 23 years old. That's a healthy face your fears kind of thing. Yeah. And then I, then I, uh, I think the first time I did stand up, I had a great set. Uh, like, you know, a lot of people do because you're so excited. Yeah. And the second time it was so bad that I didn't get on stage for months after that. What happened the second time? I just thought I'd just go up and say those words. I was lazy. I got cocky. I was like, i just go up and say these words. It's so funny. And I went through like seven minutes of material in like two minutes. You know, when you're just like yeah. start rambling. Because so, you're just, just doing what you've memorized. Yeah. And sweating so much. I remember like shaking afterwards in the bathroom. And like I couldn't. It was hard to breathe because so much sweat was getting in my mouth. It was like mm. I was drowning. You're waterboarding yourself. And yeah. And I was like, oh, what do I do? And then I, I, could, I, would, go, I would drive to open mics and just sit in my car because I couldn't get out of the car. And then I saw the movie Comedian with, uh, with um, Jerry Seinfeld. It came out in theaters, and I was mm-hmm. obsessed. Went and saw it, and I was like, oh, that's what you do. You just keep getting up there, and you just keep writing and keep getting up there. And that's – I never looked back. Mm-hmm. I just started going to as many open mics as I could. Then, um, was, what was your comedic voice like at that point? Were you doing similar jokes that you're doing now? No, not really. I, I had some smarter jokes in my act. That's what I went for. Like I wanted the smarter kind of references, but I told stories. Like I had taken a stand-up class where the guy was like, you know, talk about yourself. And they, 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 they just kind of – they give you like a very broad lesson in comedy because they have to have – all the, it has to work for all of the students. You mm-hmm. know, they couldn't be like, write one-liners if you're good at writing one-liners. You know, I didn't know that. So I kind of – I told a couple different stories. One was about getting fired from Borders. And one was about my girlfriend in college burning down my apartment. Um, and uh, and that, that got me a lot of mileage. But I was so sick of telling those stories. And I was 23. No one cares what I have to say. Yeah. And I didn't like – I didn't like, like having to wait for an experience to happen to be able to have a bit. So then I, I saw a guy doing one-liners at an open mic. I was like, oh, I didn't know you were allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. I thought only geniuses like Dimitri Mo- or like uh, Stephen, Stephen Wright, Wright and Mitch Hedberg could do it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I can try that too. And then I just thought, well, what's the funniest thing in the world to me? And it was Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. <laughs> and so I just bought all his books and I would just read those and then write my own jokes. And eventually I wrote one. After like a year of doing that, I wrote one with a mean twist on it. And I realized, oh, that's it. Like the Do you way remember what it was? Oh, yeah. It was uh, a joke. Uh, it was like, my girlfriend loves to eat chocolate. She's always eating chocolate. And she likes to joke she has a chocolate addiction, you know, which is really annoying. So I put her in the car and I drove her downtown and I pointed out a crack addict. And I said, you see that, honey? Why can't you be that skinny? <laughs> And it was like a twist and a mean twist that the crowd just went, ooh. 
and I was like, that's it. Uh-huh. That's that's my voice. And I never, I, I never tried to vary it after that. Had you flirted with dark humor, for lack of a better word, before that? Oh yeah, my whole life it was like the because it was the biggest laugh to me. It was mm-hmm. like the biggest laugh you could get, and the most inappropriate, like guttural laugh was something dark. And I always was attracted to that, and I didn't understand why people were so uncomfortable with it, you know. But that to me it was like that's why the laugh is bigger because they're uncomfortable, right? So you need to make people uncomfortable and then release it, and that's the that's the hardest you can go. You know, it used to be sex, but now everyone talks about sex that now. Now it's it really is kind of like death and tragedy is the new mm-hmm. kind of taboo. Have you experienced death and tragedy? I mean, uh, not not really. I haven't lost any like important family members to me. I haven't like you know I wasn't there at nine eleven kind of things. Like I was affected by those tragedies certainly, and I have empathy for people. And I've asked my therapist if I'm a sociopath, and she insists I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I feel but, like there's uh, a joke that that I, fe- I almost felt like that was the wind up to a joke. <laughs> no, but um, I haven't. I haven't lost anyone like important like that. To me. Have you actually wondered if you're a sociopath? It, it's occurred to me, you know. Why? But I think just because I'm, I, I feel very callous towards the world in a way like like 24 hour news has done more to damage me than anything else it's just like these things are always happening that it's maybe just kind of feel like everyone dies Mm -hmm. why are we treating this with such kid gloves you know everybody's gonna die and you're gonna get over it like this is happening to all of us and i'm like why do i feel that way is it really like am i do i just see things differently or do i have like a mental problem you know but i don't i don't think so i don't i think it's like an optimistic way of looking at life um or it's like, like I can understand that viewpoint when you when if you're inundated with it, like the sort of like probably in a in a war, sure you're losing people all around you, so you don't have time to grieve each person. And it sounds like what you're saying is that your experience of 24 hour news is, has put you in that mindset a bit. I mean, that makes it sound like I watch a lot of 24 hour news, and I really don't. It just seems like you're getting hit with all of these things, and it all it always goes away. You know, you if yeah. you. If you take yourself out of the moment and you just realize, listen, in like two weeks, we're all going to forget about this. You know, if, like, if the day of 9-11, you were like, you know what, in a couple years, this isn't gonna, we can, we'll be able to joke about this again, then it makes it okay to joke about it now yeah. in a way. It's just the, just the way you look at time even and like existence. Do you have trouble connecting with the moment? Like what do you mean? Well – it sounds like you're giving you're, me you're criticizing my improv skills. <laughs> no, that's not at all what I'm doing. I, I, okay. Um, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about those these moments of almost existential dread that I periodically have where I start to get so big picture and, and really like what is the point of it all. And I really pull out of of like everything I'm connected to in my life. Um, and then when when I'm in that state, it's like you have this ultimate perspective and you realize that – I'm so caught up in this stupid shit and it doesn't matter and blah, blah, blah. You know, everything's transient. Maybe I can try to maintain this viewpoint. And then, like, you know, without fail, a couple minutes later, I'm looking at Twitter or something. But I'm just thinking that um, it sounds a bit like you're talking about that, like having that kind of big picture view of things. And if that is your orientation, does that mean does that mean that it's hard to sort of connect to be experiencing things as they're happening in the moment? No, I, I mean, I understand what you mean now. And that's a good question. I, I think in terms of like positive things in my life, like I'm very much in the moment and I, enjoy, I can enjoy the moment, you know. But when it comes to bad things, it's almost like a meditative way to get through it. Mm-hmm. If I'm at the dentist and they're drilling my teeth, I'm like, this is awful. I want to tap out and say, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. But then you just think, 
I'm going to be dead in 100 years. You know what I mean? Everything's going to be dust. Like this world's not even going to exist. And when you think of like big picture like that, it just makes all these little things go away. Right. You know, I think it's more like philosophical than uh, than anything else. What did you major in? English major. Business minor. Yeah, I had to do it. For your dad? They were like, when you can't, they said, when you can't make money with your English major, you can get a job with your business minor. And they were right. I was an, I was an accounting clerk for TV shows for, for a while mm-hmm. before I uh, got to be a, a full-time stand-up. Um, so you wrote for Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. Was that your first TV writing job? I had written for Sarah Silverman for the MTV Movie Awards like, and, uh, and then I think the Video Music Awards just for her like monologue. I had written some jokes for her. Mm-hmm. And that was like amazing. That was like the greatest. Because if, if I liked a joke, she liked it too. You know, so, and she would do anything. Like, there were only a few that she was like, no, I, I wouldn't. I can't do that joke for whatever her personal reasons were. Mm-hmm. But then I got the Fallon job, and it was like nothing. Like he didn't want to do anything I had. And I was like, oh, this. Because this he really wants sucks. to be nice, right? He wanted to be nice, and he also just wanted kind of like he would be like he wanted cleaner jokes, I guess. You know, not like he didn't want to be trying to like change the like raise the art form of joke telling. You know, mm-hmm. he just wanted to do. He kind of like I always liked him on Weekend Update, but he didn't even want to do smart jokes like that. He wanted to kind of bring it down a little more, and I. I wasn't good at that. You know, there was, there was, it was myself and Morgan Murphy were the two comedians on staff. And we were very different than everyone else mm-hmm. because, like, comedy writers can, can change things and they just want to make the person happy. Whereas comedians are like, here's what I do. Take <laughs> right. it or leave it. And, uh, which was a fun learning experience, but it wasn't. I, I was always getting mad, like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. I understand why you need a joke writer and somebody can, knows how to write a joke, but why am I here specifically? And I, I, I never got a good answer. Um, and that was – you moved to New York for that? that I actually York, moved right? to New York. I moved to New York like right before I got the job. I was just kind of getting out of – I just wanted to get out of L.A. And uh, it seemed like a great – New York seemed like a cool place to do it. And uh, when I get, the job was just luck. Mm-hmm. I got it right away. And then what did you do after that? Then I went on the road immediately. I was like, I want, I want to be a headliner. I'd never headlined before. And I was like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I like started headlining and recorded an album. And then I got, I took like little odd jobs. Like, you know, I would, I would write, Robert Smigel was like, we write for a week on the Night of Too Many Stars. I was like, yes, I want to write with, with Robert Smigel. Uh, and then they asked me to write for the roast. And I was like, yes, dream job. I want to write for the roast. And by the, before that roast was over, they told me you're going to be on the next roast. And then it was just a matter of, of waiting for that, for that next one to mm-hmm. like, know you were going to kind of be famous after that. Yeah. Were you nervous before the roast? Which was the first one you did? <clears throat> the first one I did was Trump. And it, I was a little bit because I was like, I, I, this is my moment. If I blow this, right. I'm probably not going to get another one. And I've always wanted – like it was – it just seemed like I should be good at this. I should be great at this. I wanted to be even like better than, than, than most people. I didn't want to do an amazing job. So I was, I was not worried but I was – I cared a lot and I normally don't care that much. Mm-hmm. You know, just, it, it help, it's more helpful not to care that much but I, I definitely cared uh, a ton for that roast and it hasn't been the same since but uh but that i'll never forget that that whole night it was it was amazing mm-hmm. yeah wait let's go back to the the sociopath thing for just a minute because sure. i'm fascinated by by the your own fear that you could be um although it sounds like you're definitely not have people who are close to you in your life ever felt like you might be yeah oh yeah Everyone I've ever dated. Uh, really? Yeah, they're just like, you. what well, you don't care. Like, you really don't. What do you care about? You seem, You obviously care about something. But it was just uh, nothing ever, nothing ever, like, grabbed me like that. I was never, I could, I guess I could just disassociate myself. It's almost like watching a horror movie. You know, people are like, oh, I'm like how can you sit there and not be scared? I'm like, because I know it's a movie. You know, I kind of understand that this is just what life is. Life is ups and downs, and I'm not going to get bent out of shape over it. Uh, and people don't understand that a lot. Well, see, that brings me back to my my wondering if you 
have trouble connecting with things in the moment. But you're saying that's not the case. Like you do in, enjoy – if you experience joy and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or is it just that you don't <laughs> – or is it just that you don't care about the things that the people in the relationship want you to care about? Probably, probably the latter. You know, I, I just think I have a different just way of looking at life. And then people – like I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. People are like, how can you – like, you, you don't think anything happens after we die. That's such an awful way to think of things. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's a very positive way to look at things. It's like, this is heaven. We're yeah. in heaven right now. Enjoy this. Whatever, whatever's up there, they gave us this. So take it. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen after I'm dead kind of thing. That People just don't understand how you could see things like that. See, that, that I actually, I feel the same way. My feeling is always like, consciousness is such a miracle. And no one can even explain what consciousness is. That's kind of enough for me. Exactly. Yeah. This is this is heaven. That's all I say. Like this is I mean this is amazing. Not not for everybody. But uh <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's a it's a good way to to go about things. Yeah. Um So you're like the real you is obviously quite different than the stage version of you. Oh yeah. Um do most people seem to get that? No. Um, it always surprises me, you know, but they, uh, some people uh, to obviously understand. Some people were surprised and they're pleasantly surprised and they accept it. Some people have no idea. They're just, they just can't understand how, and I think it's because <clears throat> there's a lot of comedians who are themselves all the time. So you just assume that that's the way it is. Uh, but I'm, I feel like I'm such a villain on stage. I can't imagine that someone would think I was, I was serious. And like a lot of people will be like, oh, you know, what's great about you is you say what everyone's thinking. That's and scary. I'm always like, no, I'm not. Like you should not be thinking these things <laughs> yeah. at all. I'm like a parody of that kind of thing, you know. That, right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so when people when people think I'm actually that guy, it kind of, I don't know. I just I just I just think they're dumb. Did you take inspiration from Brett Easton Ellis? Uh, a little bit. I kind of just I don't know, inspirational a little, but I, it, it helped me kind of understand criticism a little better, especially with like the darker stuff that I just understood the things he had to go through with American Psycho and his different books that he that he weathered. I just realized that oh, people are going to come at you. But you're you you're right just because you're creating the art. You know, if someone doesn't like, if someone's like, I hate your stand up, say, so, well, you should go do stand up and do what you like because I don't understand why I would ever care yeah. what you think. You really don't though. You don't care at all about the criticism. No, I mean, I just understand you're going to get it. Like people like how like it, it, the stuff on written online about me is like it's pretty brutal. There's a, and there's a, a not. I mean, I think it's crazier than anybody else, but it's there's a lot of it, and it, you you could let it affect you. Are you but talking what, about articles or comments or Twitter? It's always comments. It's uh, Twitter comments. No one's ever written like an article taking me down, mm-hmm. but it, but people you know comments will say this guy sucks. It's always you're not funny. He's trying to be like Daniel Tosh, blah blah blah. And I'm always like uh, I don't agree with that. But the way to easily internally to, to get rid of it is I go and I Google Sarah Silverman who I think is one of the best, one of my favorite people in the world. I love her. I think she's perfect. And I'll look at the things people say about her. And it's a million times worse than it says mm-hmm. about me. And she couldn't care less. She doesn't look at it. And I'm like, oh, well, if they're saying that stuff about her, then why would I? It's an honor yeah. to have these idiots you know, coming at you like that. So it's just I, I talk about criticism like a mosquito bite. You feel it. Like, it's not like I don't. I, I feel the criticism. And it hurts. But it's like a, a quick sting. You scratch it once and you forget about it. And that's, the, that's how you keep moving. That's so funny. I've done this. I've, I've, like, I remember at one point, because I was getting upset at, at the shit that I was getting online. Um, and then it just dawned on me wait a minute. At a certain point, it's like you cross a certain threshold of Twitter followers, 
and then you just start getting shit. I mean, oh, it, yeah. everyone who's even remotely in the public eye gets it. And then I was thinking, like, I, you know what, though? I bet, like, someone like Amy Poehler, to me, is so funny but so inoffensive. I bet there's nothing negative about her. And then I looked and there's – like, I don't think there's one person – or, like, Lena Dunham, who I think is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst things about her. Awful. Yeah. It is awful. I mean, you'll see an, like a story about her, and ninety nine percent of the comments are just saying horrible shit. Yeah. And yet, I wouldn't want her to change what she's doing because of that stuff. Absolutely, you, it makes you like her more. Yeah. I always thought that like if if someone doesn't like me, it makes my fans like me more because I always like if I like a band and someone else is like, oh, that band sucks. I'm like, you don't get it. I get it, kind of thing. And it, it right. helps you become a fan. But I I was fascinated by this. You know who gets the most. The most negative, the most like negative comments, the most death threats needs the most security in this whole entertainment business. Who? Female newscasters. Oh wow! Mary Hart for on like Entertainment Tonight got by far the worst. It was like it was like she had more the, like a Secret Service around her than the president because it's so bad. People just can't, especially a female in a, in, a, in a position of power. They're just on TV and you see them. You, it just makes people crazy. It yeah. really does. You're just like it's it's their problem. I'm not going to worry about the criticism. Uh, they should be worried about why they're criticizing. Yeah, I but guess. they aren't. No, they aren't it, worried about that. Yeah. No, but they also don't think about it. They just because right. it's online doesn't make it any give it any more credence yeah. than than anything else. They just they just type something out and then forgot about it. You yeah, know, but you're the one who looks at it and, and you know googles it and searches for it. Right. Do you try to avoid it at all? Yeah, but out of boredom. You know, I, I would look at Twitter, but they're all the same. Everything that's negative is negative in the same way. Everything mm. that's positive is positive in the same way. You get bored. And there was a time when I would, you know, scroll through my YouTube videos and look at all the comments and see if someone had left a new one. <laughs> but now it's just out of boredom. I don't, I don't stay away because I, because I, I want to, you know, I don't want to look at it. It's just, I know it's the same stuff. Right. Um, you were, I think when you were on Adam Crowley, you were saying that occasionally people will laugh at the wrong thing in the joke. Sure. Right. You were saying that. Uh, I have a couple jokes where it's like if it deals with race, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, the, I'll, I'll introduce racism in a joke to kind of bring that tension up to be like, oh, what's he doing? And then the joke has nothing to do with that, you know. And so people are still laughing at the racist part of it, and it doesn't thrill me. Or when people like I, I've I've had a couple rape jokes in my act because it was like the challenge of how can you make this funny, mm-hmm. and then it became now people like demanded of me. And when you ask me for a rape joke, the last thing I want to do is give you a rape joke. Right. You know, that 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 bugs me because you just want to be, you just kind of want to be uh, keep people guessing. And if you get into that thing where everyone's like, oh, he's going to tell rape jokes, it's like that's <laughs> that disgusts me. Like I, I really I dislike it. Yeah. What is your relationship with your audience like? Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, because I think they, I think my, most of my audience understands that I'm playing a role, you know, that I'm doing this thing and they can, so they, it gives them more of a freedom to laugh at it, but they kind of, they leave me alone uh, otherwise because I'm not giving, I'm not giving away myself on stage. And so if I see someone, I'm always happy to, you know, talk to a fan and be nice, but I don't give away, I don't give a lot of my personal life away, Mm. uh, in, in public. Um, With female comedians, if they are attractive, then there's a whole, like, attractive female comedian thing they have to deal with. Um, You are not at all an ugly male comedian. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, How has that affected your career, do you think? I'm sure it's helped. You know, in the beginning, it it was tough because everyone hates you. 
all the other all the other open micers and those are the people you're that's your first audience is open mic comedians despise you. They think you have no right to be taking up stage time. You shouldn't be there. There's no because why it's you... like for ugly people only. Exactly. That like this is for us. You and people will think you've had a good life because you're attractive. Like like as if that solves all your problems. <laughs> or you know if you grew up and you had more, if you were middle class, you can't be funny. You have to mm-hmm. be lower class. You have to be poor, which always shocks me. It seems like uh, reverse discrimination in a way. It's like a weird thing. But I knew that. If I just, I mean, and it shaped my persona too as a stand-up. That's kind of why I'm this jerk on stage because people expected, you know, they, I don't know what they expected, but I was like, I'm going to give you a villain. If you expect, if you're going to not like me already, I'm going to give you more of that. Mm-hmm. And I knew it would help me later on. I always compared it to, uh, which I'm so cocky, but I compared it to like Eminem. Eminem, the rapper, was like when he when he was starting out, it was the worst thing in the world to be a white rapper. And as soon as he became famous, it was his biggest asset. That's why he sold billions of albums because he was like the only white guy. And I just knew that eventually this will work in my favor. But so you're like, eventually your looks are going to be your biggest asset. I mean, not my biggest asset, but definitely an asset. Whereas that they were not at all. And people, mm-hmm. I remember a lot of a lot of female comics still do this, where they won't wear a dress. You know, they wear jeans and they'll wear glasses to try to help. And I'm like, that sucks that you have to do that. Right. I'd rather just look like myself, but figure out a way to have my persona you know work with it mm. but I always, I'm always I always enjoy seeing like female comedians break out of that you know stereotype like like Natasha Leggero you know right. can be more beautiful on stage and, and it works that newer persona is, yeah has jokes about it yeah which is great um, were you popular in school no, I mean, I was I was well known. You know, I wasn't one of the popular kids. I had my friends. You know, I wasn't so I wasn't like a total dork, but I wasn't I wasn't popular. I wasn't in that like the the, the, the that when you think of like popular, I think of like one select group of kids, and I was not mm-hmm. I was not amongst them. You know? Right. Um, so you mentioned that that you're in therapy. I'm a big fan of therapy. Um, although Tom Green, who was just in here, and now I don't know whether that will air before or after this, but. Uh, he doesn't really believe in it for him. I don't know if he doesn't believe in it for anyone, or, or but not for himself. He feels like just just talking to his friends and stuff is, uh, and like talking to me on the podcast is like therapy, which is flattering. But I feel like, but it's not. It's not the same thing. Uh, and I think it'd be helpful to talk to your friends and talk to people. Like I just got into therapy recently. My family was like kind of anti-therapy uh, for a while, and I I done a lot of things to like try to avoid therapy. Mm-hmm. Like I started. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're younger, I don't think you need it as much unless something kind of happens. But it's been I, – I love it. I go once a week and, and I, I meditate. You know, I do transcendental meditation. And, Is that and new as out. well? Uh, I've been doing that for, for a little over a year now. I, I, like, it was one of the things I wanted to keep a secret for, for <laughs> a year because it sounds like you're doing the juice cleanse. You know what I mean? If you, right. When you talk about it, it's yeah. too – like, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. How long? A month. It's like, <laughs> shut up. You're not – uh, but uh, but I I swear by it. I lo- I'm trying to get all my family to get in, and just it's fun, nice to talk to someone, mm. you know. And it's not the same as talking to your friends. Why did your Why was your family anti therapy? I just think they they didn't really understand therapy that much, and they, and they thought it just meant something was wrong with you. Like uh-huh. they're like we're everyone's okay, you know. No one needs no one needs this, and it just kind of stuck. Did not they until... not? Do you think they didn't want people shining a flashlight into like the family stuff? No, I just think it was like uh, if you if you're going to therapy, something was wrong with you. And there was nothing wrong with us. It wasn't right. like, and it wasn't like they were like trying to hide something. It was just like, oh, we're all, we're all, you know, we're all like an upper middle class family, goes to a nice school, you know, uh, big family, every, everybody's okay. But they just, th- that was, it seemed like defeat mm-hmm. kind of thing. So know? what made you decide to get into it? 
I just, I, you know, a lot of my friends were doing it, and I just thought, you know, I, I could use something like that. And it was especially as my TV show started to come together, and I was like, okay, I'm getting famous now, and it's it's changing my life a little bit. That I just want someone to be able to talk things, talk things through with, and it's been it's been a game changer. It's re- it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and what made you get into meditation? Just trying to kind of figure things out a little more. Just. Uh, Bring, I guess, peace to my life without having to go to therapy. You know, the therapy seemed weird to me that this was like, okay, it's a thing for like 20 minutes a day or twice a day, 20 minutes. You sit there and do this thing and it just would help me creatively, would help me as a person, you know, and I think it has. It certainly hasn't hurt. Do you chant something when you do it? It's a a transcendental meditation you have. Like it's not a chant, but you you don't say anything out loud, but they give you – I forget what it's even called. It's like your little – it's like a nonsense two-syllable word. That you just kind of repeat to yourself over and over again for twenty minutes, mm-hmm. but you never you never chant or anything. Do you do it first thing in the morning? Yeah, I wake up, I'll do it, and then sometime in the afternoon. It's, if I could take naps, I would take naps, and I yeah. wouldn't have to meditate. But I feel like it, it it does help, especially when you're just tired. I started meditating, and I did it twice, and I burst into tears both times, wow. and then uh, I haven't done it again. Although I really feel like I should, because I really felt like I was getting somewhere. It sounds like you nailed it. <laughs> it sounds like you were doing it perfectly. <laughs> Is that that's not supposed to happen though? Is it? Although I feel like it's not probably not that unusual that weird shit like that happens. It seems like that seems like an like if you, if I, I I almost never cry, but if I cried after meditation, I'd be like, wow, I really nailed that. Whatever it was, you know, it seems like you. No, I cried in the great. midst of it. Yeah, but that's that's good. I mean, it seems like you're getting out something you needed to get out. Uh, yeah, that would be a good meditation. I don't know why you gave up. You should you should do it all the time. It sounds like Maybe you're I very should, good yeah. at meditating. That was Definitely my worry before about. I put on makeup. But. <laughs> <laughs> I felt dumb. I was like, am I doing this right? And there's no real – there's no doing it right. You shouldn't be worried about that. Mm-hmm. Just do it and whatever comes through your head comes through your head. But, you're, you but like you're supposed to really focus – not focus on nothingness but just let the thoughts go by, right? Yeah. Exactly. You're, not, you're trying not to trap anything. You just like let things – and you'll be thinking about, you know, do I need to get my car washed? You know, what, what, what's, what's this new joke I'm working on? Like I'll find myself thinking about – things like that all throughout the meditation but you you shouldn't be but you also shouldn't be trying to keep those out because mm-hmm. that's it's you know your your mind is working that way right so i want to ask you about relationships can i do you talk about that stuff not really but i'll i'll allow it oh well thank you <laughs> um so you were with amy schumer for mm-hmm. a while right mm-hmm. what was that like two comedians two comedians together uh, and i've dated several comedians um it, it was it was different. It was better. And then people say, well, a lot of times comedians don't work out because the couples are kind of aren't at the same level. And I think it's more like that the the comics don't think they don't think they're as funny as each other. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. somebody thinks, oh, like they're funnier, and that's when things get better. It's not so much success. Amy and I were good because we both respected the hell out of each other, and we were kind of coming up at the same level that it, we could really enjoy each other's success and never feel any sort of weirdness there. But I think it really was more mutual respect in the terms of comedy than than anything else that, that helped us out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so what happened? Oh, uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think we had a great time together and it just wasn't meant to be. Uh, that's about as far deep as I'll go. Okay. Um, do you Are you in a relationship now? No. How are you with relationships? Like, and let me explain that question so that it's not so open ended and personal. Um, I, ha- I'm actually engaged now, but I had a history of like, I always made the wrong choices in relationships, and I just was attracted to the wrong guy. And I mean, I just years and years of 
relationships that I look back on now and I think, what the hell was I doing? Although I learned. But – and that story is not that uncommon. People coming in – usually when they come in um, often have destructive patterns or things like that. I'm just wondering – any of that with you no it was more like I, I would I would fall in love immediately like I was like oh like we're like this is it I was always like this is it and I would be psyched and we would have like six months of pure bliss we're just like oh my god this is amazing I can't believe we found each other we're so lucky and then as that starts to go away I could never I just never like understood that that's just how things work out mm-hmm. that I was just like oh like I'd start, I would start looking for the next you know, intense, uh, intense emotional connection. Right. You know? Are you still like that? I think I've kind of figured out a little more not to be that way. And mm-hmm. just as you get older and you've done some things, you know, but uh, I'm sure I'm like that a little bit, you know, and that's the fun part. It's like why yeah. you want that, you want that six months of like taking trips together and like doing crazy, crazy things and just being so in love. You like, you don't care about anything else. Like, that's great. I'm glad I had six or seven times in my life where I felt that way about someone. And when the relationship goes away, I'm always almost to a fault being like, I hope you still like it would kill me if some girl was like or someone was like you, you were a waste of time. That would be the worst thing you could say to me. I always want them to be like, listen, we, we, uh, I'm not happy with you now. We're breaking up. But this is sad. But I'm so glad we got to spend that time together because mm-hmm. it was amazing time. You know, that's always that's been my thing. But that's not always enough. Do you think that's how they feel? No, I'm always the ones that do the breaking up. So they don't they don't have the luxury of feeling that that way. But I think now, looking back, they all, you know, for the most part, would all be happy mm-hmm. with the time we spent together. And you break up because <clears throat> your feelings change. Yeah. Yeah, and you try to fake it for a while and you can't Ugh. and the sex goes and then everything goes after that. Like it's 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 pretty textbook. Do you think that that's because you like, do you think you just weren't – they just weren't the right person for you, but you were in love with being in love with them and idealized them? I don't know. I, I, I it's, it's, a, it's a tough question. I, I just think that, like, something changes and I just don't – I, like, forget about, you know, the good times, the, 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 all those <clears> – <throat> how passionate I felt. I just know I don't feel that way now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to be a good guy. I always didn't – I always used to be the guy who would, like, cheat – just so that she would break up with me kind of thing, you know, and I hated doing that. But it took me a while to be honest and just really be able to say, you know, what I what I needed and what I wanted from a relationship. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting getting closer to that now. Um, well, this will be really helpful for for listeners. Here's my question. So you were the one who cheated, but you want like you wanted her to find out. Yeah, I mean, like in a clear, like you get busted through an email kind of thing or like it was like this. And even if I didn't want to get caught at the time or didn't think I would, like I knew if I kept this up, it wouldn't be like a one-time thing. It would be like, all right, I'm I'm having an affair with someone at work, you know, and they're eventually going to find out. Because, yeah. Because the relationship changed. It's not like I was like a great boyfriend and also cheating. It was like I was a bad boyfriend, so I started to cheat just to, so she would get rid of me kind Did of Did you lose respect for them if they didn't break up with you as quickly as you thought they should have? I never came up. Never came up. You know, I, I didn't uh, – I've always had respect. For, I've never lost respect for people that I've, that I've dated. I've always dated women that I, that I really respected and, and, and liked different things about. Um, but, uh, but they – you know, I, didn't, I wasn't like I was a serial cheater. But that happened. That was one case where I, where I was cheating and, uh, and she, was, she was done. I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe if I had wanted to work it out. And she found out from an email? Yeah. Well, she just knew that I wasn't around. I wasn't like I, things were different. We were barely talking. Mm-hmm. We'd just see each other at night when I would come home from work, and she knew something was up, so she went in. And I was like, I, did, I wasn't even mad at her. I was like, okay, like 
I, sorry I did this to you. And I couldn't have just been honest and, and said, we need to break up. Yeah. Why couldn't you be? Because I thought, it's funny, like, did you ever hear, like, those, uh, those, like, there's, like, a married couple where the husband kills the wife because it was easier than, like, he's, like she, I couldn't bear her, for her to have to go through a divorce kind of thing. It was like that, <laughs> You I couldn't was, like, deprive her of you. Exactly. Where I felt like, oh, she must, like, this is everything. We just moved in together. Like, she's tied herself to me that I'm, like, I feel like I'm letting her down so much. That I that I don't know how to tell her that, and whereas I should have just been, she would have been fine. You know, right. what I mean? it's not like women are these gentle creatures who need to be protected. Uh, they can handle a, a breakup, and mm-hmm. I just didn't have the balls to to do that. And that was uh, I, I really hated myself for that. That I've tried to make an effort since then to uh, to turn it around. Um, how long did the cheating go on? Oh, not long, like a month, maybe. You know. Um, yeah. How did so? How did you feel when you would come home to her? Like I like I had like if your parents are staying with you for the weekend and you're like I would love to just come home and just have time to myself, but I've got to come in and kind of deal with this person who I am not in love with. But you're kind of it's like you're stuck with a roommate kind of thing. Ugh, you know, my soul is dying hearing this. Yeah. I like I have. I look at people who are in unhappy relationships for a long period of time. And I just, I don't know how they do that because for me, when the, when the feeling goes, I I do too, (laughs) because to me to pretend to be into something that you're not into is like death. I just don't have a good game face. I think a lot of times, like I didn't know myself that well then and my life was changing so much, you know, when I was like, when I was, uh, I was working on Fallon and and things were changing for me and I didn't know myself well enough to understand what was going on. Like maybe I'll feel better tomorrow. Yeah. You know, maybe things will just change. Like we'll go on vacation together and that will fix things. And it just, it wasn't, it wasn't happening. And I didn't really, and and a lot of times I would get back together with people and that's tough because the relationship becomes that much more heavy. Like when you break up with – if you get start dating someone, you're just kind of just having fun. Maybe you'll get married, whatever. If you break up with that person and get back together again, you're supposed to get married. And that's why you got back together mm-hmm. kind of thing. That right. Was, you're supposed to have was, had a realization. Exactly. And those, those were really tough for me yeah. to get out of. I hope it didn't sound like I was judging you with me saying when I'm done, I'm out of there. Or no, something. no, no, no. Like, no that's, I, the way, that's the way they should be. Well, but, but I know what you mean though because also there is that thing where you – you're questioning the feeling. I, I mean, I can definitely imagine being in this in the situation you're in, where you're not, you can't, you're not really sure of anything just yet. Yeah. So you're kind of in between. Um, do you do you want to get married and have kids? I don't know. I go back and forth. I don't know if I'm if I'm capable. You know, I don't know if that's if that because you're a sociopath. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I'm I just, just think kidding. that I, I don't under, I don't see myself ever getting in a relationship that I wouldn't eventually want out of for whatever reason that I don't know. I think it might just be better not to do that. Do you get judgmental? Like around the time that your feelings start changing, do you suddenly find yourself annoyed by the person or is it that this sexually you're not into them anymore? It's more just like, just as a, per, I just, the, the novelty wears off I and mean, it's such an awful way to put it, but it really is like there, I still love them as a person. You know, I, I want to be with them, but it's, it's, uh, it's something goes away. I lose something where I'm just like, and then you just start thinking about the future. You're like, God, if I'm, if I'm mad now, if I'm annoyed yeah. now, like how will I feel if like in 10 years if we're married and I'm, I'm really stuck with that person? You're like moving in together is always a bad thing for me because I just like, I flip out. It just seems like, it seems like you're stuck. And I don't like feeling, I don't like feeling stuck. Mm-hmm. So you live alone now. Mm-hmm. Have you lived with, how long have you been, been back out here? Like a year and a half, maybe two years. I saw you on the street yesterday, by the way. Oh, I was really? driving and I almost waved and then I was like, it's going to be like, hey, you're on my podcast tomorrow. Hey, bye. Oh, so well, I didn't. You were, I was going, I think I was going south on Highland. 
you were about to cross the street. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I live in that area. So okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it was in the remember. evening. Gotcha. Um, all right. I think we should quickly do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. This is where people send in on Twitter things they do or think that they wonder, is it just them or everyone? And then we comment if we do them as well. Lauren says, just me. Always take my house keys off before handing the keys to the car wash guy, just in case he plans to make a copy and rob me. Yes, I do that with the valet guy. And then I think, really, what, it's, what, am, I, what, what am I thinking he's really going to do? But I, for some reason, I take my house keys off the valet key. I don't do that. Let us know if you get robbed. Yeah, I, I just don't, it seems like a, there's so much work, and I don't really have anything. That's I've, I've like left doors open because I'm like, what are they going to take? Kind of thing. That's more my my thing. But I understand that's a smart thing to do. So I don't. I would say it's not just her, but I don't do that. Okay. Let me. T- okay, this looks like oh Jim Tyndale, but it's written all backwards. Says follow someone I hate on Twitter. Am annoyed by all of their tweets, but won't unfollow because I somehow love to hate them. Oh yes, I do that. There's a lot of people where I'm like, why am I following this person? But then I still follow them. There was like, there was one person I did that to for a while. And then I, I was asking all my friends, like, why do you follow him too? And they were like, it's an obligation. And then I felt like, oh, I have to not. Not do it? I have to not follow this person. So I stopped. I used to do that, but then I stopped. Because it made me too, it made me too crazy. And I, and I get the sense you're not going to tell us who it is. I can't, but I, I, I guarantee you. After this, will you tell me? Sure. Okay. Um, Graham Cassidy says, when out at night, if I see a woman by herself, I will cross the road so that she doesn't think I'm going to mug or attack her. That's very nice of you. I don't have that problem. I will do that. You will? I feel bad. I, I just don't want, I don't, I don't want to scare someone, so I will do whatever I can. Or I'll like, pull out my car keys and like, beep the thing so they know I'm going to my car. And I'm yeah. Right. I'll do whatever I can to make them feel uh, comfortable. Less rapey. That's nice. Exactly. Larry Augsburger says, is it just me or does everyone stare at the rug when on the toilet and cross their eyes a little until they see faces in the pile? I think it's interesting that your bathroom is carpeted, but, um, I do stare at, like I just discovered, um, basically a face on the fake wood floor of my bathroom. And I'm pretty excited about it. I almost took a photo of it to show everyone the face. It's like, um, like the shading of eyes and a nose. It's definitely, I mean, it's the, it's the fake knots in the fake wood uh, vinyl tiles of the bathroom. But it's definitely face-like. Hmm. You, do you do this kind of stuff? I do not. I enjoy seeing, finding faces in wood. But <laughs> in the carpet, I, I can't do that. And I have to be reading in the bathroom. So really? Yeah. If the, whether it's a back of a shampoo bottle or a yep. book or a magazine, you got to have something. Uh, and also, I've never been able to do... The, what are the, the dots where you kind of make your eyes go weird? You can see. You can't unfocus I've, your eyes? I've never. Oh. I, I can do it, but I've never successfully done a magic eyes thing. Not Those hologrammy things, yeah. yeah wow. Can you roll your tongue? Like. Yeah, you can. Yeah. I'm just thinking there's other things that some people can and can't do. Um, <laughs> just those two. That's it. <laughs> Dave Geske says, I do not know what my natural laugh sounds like. It's not that I don't laugh out loud. I can't reproduce it without sounding fake. Yeah, I think that's how it is for most people. But yeah, I still know what weird. it is. Yeah, I know. I've got different laughs. You know, I don't ever think about it. But Do it, you ever hear yourself laughing and think, though that's insincere? No, because I have to do it a lot on my TV show and it always sounds great. <laughs> 
Uh, that was my real laugh. Um, <laughs> when coming ac- okay, Jay says, when coming across a damaged product at the grocery store that was on my list, I buy it because everyone else won't and it's still edible. It's nice of you. It's like saving the produce. I don't. I don't even. I don't even take the front thing. I take the one behind it, even though there's no reason why. Me too. Yeah, I feel like they're trying to take advantage or something. (laughs) That's right. You know what? Though speaking of that, they're trying to take advantage thing. Um, I realized lately that I enter many a situation with this kind of paranoid, like, all right, who's trying to get get one over on me? Who's trying to like mess with me? I got to be on guard. Well. I've just I've been shopping for a car, which is why I have that attitude. But I was thinking that's like a pretty repugnant attitude to be around. If you're not trying to fuck with anyone and you can sense that the person is like, all right, what are you trying to do? Like that's it's I'm not finishing my sentences, but it's gross to it's unpleasant to be around someone who is suspicious of you. Sure. But I think buying a car is the buying a car in a house are the times you've got to be like yeah. that. But it's I've, I understand it is it is unpleasant if someone's suspicious when they have no reason to be. Right. Yeah. It's annoying. Like, actually, I imagine as a guy, there's probably times where you've been on dates with women who have that attitude about men. I think that's probably something that is a big turnoff, a woman that has this atti- an attitude that all men are trying to, to screw her over. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not, not attractive. Right. Um, Patrick Neville says, I find it hard to enjoy a song on the radio as I'm always afraid there's a better one on the next station. I go through phases. Where I have to keep flipping around. So I do relate to that. I was like that as a kid. Sometimes I'll be just a, a song you have to hear. And it's gone away with iTunes because now you can get whatever song. But when right. you were a kid, I remember being like terrified I was going to miss uh, Bon Jovi's Bad Medicine if I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't constantly flip around. Was that your favorite? And that was just the first one that popped in my head. But I okay. love that song. It was a good one. Slippery When Wet was the first cassette I ever bought. Really? Mm-hmm. Mine was Def Leppard Hysteria, I believe. Jason Dix says, when someone brings up blinking, I have to manually blink until I forget about it. Well, now I'm going to have to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm doing the opposite. I'm just wide-eyeing it. Um, No, not that, but I am very susceptible to the contagious yawn. Everyone is. It's a, it's a human they? nature. Yeah, okay. I, mean, if, like, I think monkeys do it too. If they see humans yawn, you have to do it. I'm, <laughs> I have a thing though where if we talk about winking – I have to like reteach myself. I have to give myself a quick winking tutorial before I can do it. You know what I mean? No one ever mm-hmm. winks great the first time. You've got to be like, you can do one of those and then you can right. be like, okay, I need to yeah. like, put a little more into it. It's, it's tough. I wouldn't even, in a high pressure situation, I wouldn't even try to wink because I feel like it would come off just so botched. Totally. Yeah. It's tough to, it's tough to do it. To pull it off. Yeah. Some people though, like my Spanish teacher in seventh grade would, would wink quite a bit yeah, and it you, worked for her. I think the, the, fe- the big fear is that if you're really good at winking, you're going to over wink because if you're great at it and you do it too much, it's weird. Right. Yeah. My eyes are so self-conscious right now. They're very, they're very <laughs> aware of everything happening. Um, but something that's been happening lately quite a bit on stage is that I'll be performing with the Adam Carolla show and Adam will be talking to me and I'll start yawning and I'll do the like, "Mm," people listening can't hear, but like the thing where you try to stifle a yawn and Mm -hmm. I'm sure he can tell and I can't help it. I don't know. Like, I don't know whether to just pretend that, oh no, it's anxiety, but it's not, I don't think it is, but I don't think it's fatigue either. Actually, maybe it is anxiety because I don't think it's fatigue. I'm on stage. So I don't know why I'm suddenly beset by yawns. I mean, it may be because it's like, you know, the second show on the first night we flew into New York and I've been traveling all day. I don't know. Maybe it is fatigue, actually. I think it's a little fatigue. I think it's probably you just don't like Adam and you don't respect him. But I would just tell him that. Why would I yawn That's it, true. you know? 
Have you ever started yawning when you've been on stage oh, or was, during your I, show? Uh, uh, on stage, no. It's like, but uh, during podcasts, yeah. And I think when I was in here, because I remember I was so tired that day. I came You're probably catching. It's probably me yawning that it was giving it to you. I don't. I just remember because Adam would keep looking at me and just kind of checking in as he's talking, and I was like, "You got to make, you got to keep the eye contact." Because yeah. if he catches you, you're not looking at him. What the, what he's going to look at? Right. That a couple times you try to stifle it, mm-hmm. but then you're just like, you know what? Just let it go. It's like being at a dinner party and you want to spit out your food. Right. Just just take it out of your mouth, put it on your plate. It's better than anything else. It's. <laughs> It's like with my eyes, I'm trying to communicate like totally listening and amused and right there with you. But my mouth is saying I am sleeping. Mm -hmm. Okay, last one. Nancy Duggan says, sometimes I take Midol when I don't really need it, just like recreational drugs. I do that. (laughs) You do not. No, I do not. Yeah. I don't either. I I feel like you need to try other recreational drugs. Okay. Anthony Jeselnik, thank you so much. This has been super fun. Everyone should follow you on Twitter at Anthony Jeselnik. Sure. Right, uh, and they can find you online. This is where you plug whatever you want to plug. They can you can Google me if you Google Justin. Look, you get close, they'll help you out. But you should, <laughs> what you have to do is watch my TV show Tuesday nights ten thirty after Drunk History on Comedy Central. That's right. Yeah. Uh, when does this When does this come on? I'm not sure when this one is coming out yet. Is there a specific thing that you want to plug? In which case, we should make it right before that. I, I would say the next week's episode next Tuesday, which is August something. Is Joan Rivers and David Tell, which I'm oh, wow. very excited to have those two on my show. That's so very cool. That'll be a good one. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. Um, and if you're going to buy something on Amazon, why not click through the banner on my website at AllisonRosen.com? It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it helps out the show. Okay, thank you for listening. I love you guys. Bye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show?
is Corolla Digital.